0: Welcome to The Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hobcast from Hoback Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello Hello. and welcome again to the Hobcast Book Show. We're back in our little studio, soon to be replaced by a much flasher one. But uh, welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: My name is Rebecca Collins.
0: Together we run Hoback Books and we are UK independent publishers of the following genres thrillers crime mystery suspense the yorkshire hasn't left me from no. a week after harrogate uh, so i hope you enjoyed last week's show had a great response to it and uh, fantastic uh, opportunity to meet so many wonderful authors and speak to four of them if you haven't heard it already got ian rankin on the show sj paris mark billingham and also martin waits and uh, it's one of the shows we're proudest of i think so far out of the 29 that we've had so far
1: i I was floating for four days after that
0: (laughs) well yeah (laughs) now we should really sound a little bit more muffled we should sound like this because both of us are in self-isolation ping (laughs) yeah uh well yesterday i got pinged in the morning and you got pinged in the evening i was
1: cooking tea yes when uh, i got pinged
0: and and for those of you outside the uk what this means is that we have an nhs covid-19 app on our phones and it sends us mes- messages telling us to si- self-isolate uh because we've been apparently in contact with somebody who's got the virus now uh i mean it could have happened at harrogate but i I'm getting suspicious about the whole thing because a lot of our friends have also got pinged and it's very unlikely they got it at Harrogate because they weren't there. So
1: Oh, I don't know anyone else has been pinged.
0: Well, Sarah.
1: Oh, yes, yes, Sarah. <laughs> so, anyway,
0: look, no, it is it is uh the pingemic as it's been known uh, has reached into this household and we also have uh well, we've had to change our plans somewhat uh in terms of family arrangements, um not just because of the pinging, but because your boys uh, were due to go on holiday, but unfortunately there's been another sort of COVID yeah. contact trace. And so they're back with us for the week and, and, and now they're stuck indoors because we can't take them anywhere.
1: No. So we, we when when they first came back here, we thought, oh, that's fine. We'll we'll make the most of it. We'll have some day trips. And then you got pinged then and then I got pinged. So that's, yeah. So we're going to be playing Trivial Pursuit, I think, this afternoon.
0: Yeah. We'll watch the Grand Prix, play Trivial Pursuit. Uh, I bought an Xbox game so that we can, none of us have got any expertise in That's so that we can have a tournament playing basketball against each other
1: i'm going to win
0: i got vetoed i wanted wwe wrestling
1: (laughs) i think Uh, josh did too Actually, yeah
0: that would have been fun but anyway (laughs) uh you know we'll have to just do real chair shots to the back of the head uh rather than virtual ones
1: (laughs) i've no idea what that means
0: (laughs) (laughs) well look it's been a busy week for us at hobec books getting back from harrogate and uh, catching up with the work that uh, naturally got slightly shoved aside for the trip uh, we also ran a competition this week, so if you listen to last week's, you'll know that if you subscribed during this week to our mailing list, you had the opportunity to uh, win another creative crime, or at least the uh, the virtual creative crime. But nonetheless, we have a a, a a a collection of wonderful books from our first year of publishing, and we have a winner too, uh, and we will reveal who that is a little bit later oh <laughs> teaser who's our guest this week you'll be asking well we'll speak to simon mcleave very shortly who has done phenomenally well since publishing his first book only in january last year just before the pandemic and has now sold eight hundred thousand books that's probably rising now because he had a new book out this week uh an imitation of darkness which is one of his prequels to his di ruth hunter series and uh it's i think number 30 odd in the entire kindle bookstore at the moment but certainly number three in noir so that's uh,
1: incredible isn't it he's yeah, done so well
0: amazing story and it uh, turns out we have um, a university connection i know which we well, didn't expect we
1: probably danced alongside him on a friday night
0: we probably did <laughs> in a
1: tie-dye shirt
0: <laughs> absolutely so we all went to exeter university but we didn't know that until we started the interview anyway uh looking forward to speaking to simon there's so much again to, to learn from uh, from him and his uh, fantastic career uh, starting off in script editing for the BBC then teaching and now uh, a full-time author and a very successful one to boot. So we really are racking up the numbers at the moment with all the people we've been speaking to Lee Russell with 2 million books and and now Simon with 800,000. We should
1: 000. add up all the books that all the people we've spoken to have published and see what that comes yeah,
0: to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, we've got a promise from LJ Ross to join us sometime in the future, probably beginning of next year. I mean, she's a busy lady. She's currently on holiday in Cornwall, but just released The Cove this week to number one, uh, as usual. Uh, and she's sold over six million. So that really will boost the numbers uh, when we get to uh, get to that. But plenty of interviews to go. Let's uh, let's talk about our news this week and I think the dominant one from our sector without question is the takeover or the merging really of Bloodhound books who are uh, in exactly the same sphere as us in terms of crime and thrillers and suspense and some of our authors are currently published by Bloodhound as well or have you know legacy contracts there and many have, have worked with them in the past and they've been taken over by a massive American firm.
1: Open Read. Open, sorry, Open Road Media, in fact. <laughs> yeah,
0: ORM, as they uh, are shortened to, OR uh, slash M. Uh, they've acquired them. And uh, ORM, if you don't know them, uh, it sounds like you should do because they're huge. Uh, they're a global ebook publisher network, and they've got some big names on their, um, on their books already, uh, like Alice Walker, Pat Conroy, and Ruth Rendell, presumably the... Um, they manage the assets of the of the uh, of these late authors, um, and they have actually got fourteen thousand authors under their umbrella. I
1: mean, I it's can't monumental. I can't even imagine that we've got what um, seventeen. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered seventeen. I can just about juggle seventeen, but fourteen thousand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the nature of this deal is that, um, according to Betsy Reevely, who is one of the co-founders of Bloodhound, and they're based in uh, my hometown of Cambridge uh they wanted to do this merge because the, the the market has changed so dramatically you, and from that you get the impression that there's been a bit of a battle to to sort of surface sales um in the digital world and so that's this is ORM's big expertise so the, the bloodhound organization will be subsumed into the into ORM's and they'll be drawing heavily on ORM's expertise in digital marketing uh, and also in terms of the financial support and you know, its network, but, uh, both Betsy and her co-founder, uh, will be, that's Fred Freeman, uh, will be working within that organization. Now, I mean, imagine, I suppose one of the things we look at Hobo books at some point, someone might come tap on our door and say, you know, can we buy you out? <laughs> it's fanciful.
1: Hang moment. on. I can hear someone knocking. <laughs> yeah.
0: that will be Amazon.
1: <laughs>
0: with my new with synth- your new toy. <laughs> with my new synthesizer. Yeah. Um, yeah i mean the, the the one if you're setting up a business one of the things you might think about is an exit strategy and i'm not sure that bloodhound set up in that moment but they've 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 decided that this is the way forward for them and they there's an undisclosed sum of money been changed hands for this deal to happen so you know good luck to them uh i know they've just added pretty much the entire back catalog of urbane books and and their authors too so uh it's beginning to look like it's a marketplace where the more authors you add, the more valuable, you know, your company is, and and that's kind of counter to what we're doing. I mean, we're we're adding slowly, and we're still, you know, we've got a few people who who yet to look at their submissions and things like that. But officially, we're still closed for submissions. Uh, we're not rushing because we want to make sure that the the nature of our business is that we're still providing the level of service and cooperation and collaboration that we promised our authors when they first signed and you know the more we add the uh, the, the more workload on your and my desk so um, it, it's it's a difficult balance but clearly for bloodhounds you know the numbers game has, has played a part here
1: I think that's the nature of the publishing industry though isn't it it's made up of these sort of massive um, companies which have lots of sort of little offshoots as well and then lots of small independent publishers such as ourselves and you know they do get sucked in by the bigger companies because they can offer um so much financial support and expertise that you know a small company with just a few people
0: yeah i mean you know it's funny because we had a a conversation just now as we were you know it's the end of the month the amazon money is coming in and they you know the, the money we get from our different you know, platforms <laughs> and the audiobooks, you know, coming in and then you're distributing to the authors, and that's quite a bit of your time. It would be lovely to have someone who does that for <laughs> you, but, um, you know, we're not at that stage yet. So, uh, anyway, good luck to, good luck to Black Bloodhound. It's, I mean, it'll be a, a, I can only put myself in their shoes in the sense that when you're part of a bigger organization, there's so many other things to consider, and all the autonomy and the ability to just make a decision. Um. For yourself rather than refer it through a committee will presumably be much harder to do
1: yeah i think so i mean it you know they have different levels of autonomy don't they in these situations um i, I certainly will be watching quite closely to see you know how their sort of marketing strategy changes and you know, anything that we can pick up oh absolutely
0: <laughs> absolutely we're always looking um your things change so much and in fact on that subject if i might um again we mentioned that Amazon had made it possible for us to add extra content to our product pages in terms of you know visuals and stuff like that uh, to make them more attractive. Uh, now they've added one whole load more metric data uh, and options for examining how your adverts are doing. Um, they were complicated enough, but now there's a whole load. I mean, it, for those who understand Amazon adverts, I'm sure the fact that you can now look at individual keywords performance Uh, in granular detail will will help uh, target your campaigns better and and it's a step forward but it's another thing to learn at a time when personally I was you know still battling to get to grips with the the system itself so um, and it also frankly makes all the courses that you might have on Amazon and all the books that talk about Amazon ads obsolete overnight yeah frankly
1: Simple uh, as that. It yeah. is. It is as simple as that.
0: So I wonder uh, if
1: there's somebody somewhere furiously writing the next. Well, book. I hope
0: so, but they won't be in a position to speak with authority because they haven't tried it yet. So no. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a step forward, but it, perhaps it's an opportunity for for those of us who are still at the nursery slopes of Amazon mastery um, to take a leap forward. If, and I, I intend to use uh, our little break to Scotland, which is next week, uh, you know, COVID permitting, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, to spend some time with amazon ads and and getting into the, the detail but now there's a whole load more options and information um so that's going to be going to be a tricky one
1: yeah and, and the irony is i'm 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 more, much more comfortable with spreadsheets than you so i think we'll be, it'll be a bit of a collaboration uh, it's going to have to be a collaboration
0: <laughs> i mean you know i i, I won't lie my, my knowledge my ability with figures has always been uh, sketchy at best. I, I think, you know, borderline dyslexic uh, when it comes to new m- numbers. Um, but anyway, uh, that's private woes of my my, <laughs> my maths history. Oh, boy. Tortured my teenage years. Anyway, uh, let's, um, let's have a look at uh, any other news you've got. Have you got anything else that you wanted to bring to us?
1: Well, only really sort of low-level, frivolous news items, because I always pick up on those. So um, I was just... Fascinated by the fact that Stephen Fry is currently writing a book about ties because he's recently discovered a love for that particular item of clothing and he's decided to write a book about it and that's coming out in November. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow! (laughs) I want to know what he has to say—a whole book about ties.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose you know he wears his MCC tie. I know that, uh, which is the Marylebone Cricket Club because he's a member of that and can be seen at Lord's watching test matches and things like that.
1: (laughs) Um, Maybe that's how he got his love of ties then. It might be. It (laughs) might be
0: because that is a – I mean, okay, there are something like 17,000 members of the MCC, but it's one of the most sought-after and hardest to get into clubs in uh, in the world. Uh, The the waiting list is about 30 years unless, of course, you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody or you're a playing member. In fact, we're talking to one of my closest friends whose sons are pretty good at cricket – And uh, he's putting them in for uh, MCC playing status as the. Oh, is that Russell? Yeah, Russell, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's hoping to uh, get some backdoor opportunities to go and watch cricket and Lords (laughs) in the Pavilion. (laughs) It should be wonderful. Um, Yeah. But there's
1: somebody else who's written a book who uh, sparked your interest, a lady who likes the kitchen.
0: Of course. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I forgot to mention this. Look, there was a great article. I think it was The Telegraph. uh, Maybe wrong, maybe The Times. Anyway, uh, Delia Smith. Now, I nearly fell off my chair when I read this, is now 80. How can Delia Smith be 80? Uh, in the article, it says she looks about 60. And, and I have met Delia on a couple of occasions, uh, not least when I was covering Norwich City for uh, for the BBC. And she is the majority shareholder at Norwich City Football Club. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's been with us eternally, it seems. Uh, but she's 80 now. And she hasn't written a cookbook for nine years which uh, in itself seems extraordinary, yeah. but still sells millions of copies with, well, the, with the backlist.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the Christmas book, I think every household in the UK probably has a copy of Delia's Absolutely. Christmas.
0: Absolutely. Or even How to Cook, the three-part series where it tells you how to boil an egg.
1: <laughs> which <laughs> you needed to know this week, didn't you? Yeah,
0: hard-boiled egg, yeah. Just, <laughs> and, and I got it right, thank goodness. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> eggs confuse me. It's so the fact you can't you can't really monitor them. That's the that's the problem with eggs. Anyway, um, she is writing a, a book on her spirituality. She was originally Church of England, then she changed changed to Catholicism. She goes to Mass when she can, or when there's a priest available, um, and she spends an hour meditating or reflecting every day. And um, this is the, the nature of the book she's writing, which is coming out in March. But believe it or not. Uh, I think it's Mench Books are, are, are publishing it. She seven publishers turned her down for this particular book, and I find that extraordinary because on name value alone, I think it would sell a lot of copies because it's Delia, I Saint Delia. Think, it's
1: interesting, isn't it? Because you you think so. However, I don't think I'll be getting a copy.
0: No, okay, but look, let's be honest. Uh, for a certain demographic, she's a goddess. Yeah, simple as that. I mean, um. We owe we owe her a great debt, I think, in this country to changing the way that we cook. And she was the way we one thought the, about food. You she know.
1: was one of the first. If she wasn't the first, was she? But she was one of the sort of the pioneers of the TV chef.
0: She was one of the first. I mean, there were Fanny Kralick before her, and, and and a few others. But um, you know, Anton Mosseman and people like that. But the fact is that Delia was the one who took it into stratospheric levels. And let's not forget that in the noughties, if she recommended goose fat for your roast potatoes for christmas then they'd sell out in sainsbury's within about three hours of it being public uh, broadcast
1: and i'm sure it was Dealer who invented the parmesan parsnips at christmas too
0: yep pretty much um yeah she's uh, apparently she doesn't do much of the cooking anymore it's her husband does it
1: <laughs> that's funny isn't it? it's like if you marry a chef you do all the cooking yourself
0: and she takes herself down to the the shed at the bottom of the garden so she can't interfere i love that <laughs> there's so much information this is a wonderful interview
1: um, but do you know the, the dead cat story, Delia's dead cat story?
0: No, I don't know the dead cat so, story. So,
1: um, I think it was actually Clay's. So, the printer Clay's, um, the sales, the, the sales rep who used to come to Oxford University Press when I worked there, told me a story um, because they printed. Um, I can't remember which Delia book it was, but they it tied in with a TV series where they built a kitchen, like a garden kitchen, in her on the outside of her house, and um, so. Builders came in and they they made this thing and she did the TV series and at the same time her cat went missing. And then they realized that they'd actually built it on top of the cat while it was asleep. I, so Delia lost her cat.
0: My goodness. No wonder she changed. She yeah. was very upset when I'm they were. I'm sure that's gonna feature up. in a book about spirituality.
1: Because <laughs> they took it down, you see, when they finished the T V series, and of course they found what had happened. Wow.
0: I don't know where to go with that. We're about to introduce an interview, but I'm sort of dumbstruck, really.
1: (laughs) Well, I know how much you love cats, so I'm really sorry.
0: Well, sometimes, depending on the mood she's in. Uh, Let's get to the interview then, (laughs) if I can recover my composure. With Simon McCleve. Now, Simon spent his first formative years after leaving university as a script editor for the BBC and, and writing scripts for... All sorts of the serial shows you saw on the British television at that time, including some that still go today, obviously, like Holby City, just about, and EastEnders, and The Bill. Uh, And it was a fantastic grounding for him, clearly, as you'll hear in the interview, in terms of speed of writing, cleanness of writing, but the pressure must have been immense. It's it's a bit of a factory, and the writers are kind of treated... Well, they're expendable, as he describes them. Uh, So that's a a fascinating start to his career. Then he got, um, well itchy feet or perhaps disillusioned with the length of time it took to get projects off the ground when he was trying to get films done and so he moved into teaching which was rewarding for a decade Uh, certainly the contact with the pupils but then much like many of us who reach a certain point in our careers you know the uh, stuff that goes on behind the scenes the management and the uh, switches of policy and all that sort of thing got in the way of his enjoyment of that and so he decided to concentrate on his writing and boy, was it a good decision! Living on the Welsh borders with uh, in Ch- and Cheshire, uh, he's written about Snowdonia. That's a thing for his DI Ruth Hunter series, and it has been phenomenally successful. And uh, the speed of release has been a key to this. He's written and published thirteen books now, mm. quite extraordinary, including a spin-off series, and they have become phenomenally successful in a very short period of time. We're talking about 18 months. In 18 months, he sold 800,000 books. So as you can imagine, we needed to know how. But let's uh, let's speak to Simon McLeave. Simon McLeave, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I guess you're in your, was it your study in Snowdonia?
2: I am in my study in North Wales. Yeah, just on, just uh, about uh, 15 miles from Snowdonia we are. So we're um, a, a little bit towards England, um, but
0: uh, it's sunny, which is unusual for North Wales. So I'll take that. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean the moodiness of the weather is is well known, but I guess that yeah, yeah. feeds into into your writing a bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was sort of when I first started to think about the series, it was um, you know spending a lot of time driving out to Snowdonia um, and doing a little bit research on the history of it. But um, uh, yeah, it, as a landscape, it's got everything. It's got you know, you've kind of got some of the huge, huge mountain ranges, great big lakes, uh, beaches forests it's kind of got everything you need really for a for a dark crime series so yeah it was perfect and on my doorstep so yeah and 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 I sort of was aware that no one had really done that I don't think anyone's done a crime series whether it's books or tv set in the the heart of Snowdonia so uh, I kind of thought that there was
0: a a huge scope for for using it yeah and I I've always felt that Slight chill when I've gone to Snowdon, yeah. I mean it's it's you know the closest bit of sort of beautiful countryside, serious countryside to where we are at the moment in Staffordshire. Um, but there's there's always a sort of feels like a finger running down my back a bit. Oh when I'm mm-hmm. I'm in that area. Uh,
1: it makes me think of trains for some reason, steam trains.
2: There's a, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of steam trains. Yes. Yeah, coming out of uh, <laughs> uh the West. The West Highland Railway, which is, I don't know, which is, sounds like it should be in Scotland. but It does, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's got, it has got that stuff that kind of goes, you know, some of them, the, when I've done the research, the kind of the Druids and the folk tales that go back, you know, thousands of years, and then the Romans invading and not getting very far, and uh, Owen Glyndor. I mean, there's so much kind of history and, of kind of battles and uh, and sort of you know, folk tales and myths and legends and giants. It's kind of, got, it's got everything there and all the kind of Arthurian stuff that's there as well, which I think the more I've researched, it's incredible that, uh, you know, they. it's believed that, that the, the the Lady of the Lake and Excalibur is in the middle of Snowdonia. So it's, yeah, there's a lot, a
0: lot of history there. That's fantastic. So let's take people through the story to date in terms of your author career. But we start off... Uh, a little earlier, in TV. Uh, and so you have a lot of experience in the the, the the sort of the factory of turning out scripts. Tell us about that part of your life in the 1990s, I think.
2: Yeah, I know I started at the BBC, uh, like yourself, and uh, as a script editor, um, and worked for a long time with writers on improving their scripts. Um, and then I became a sort of development person. So I went off Uh, worked for a couple of production companies again with writers on their scripts developing ideas I went to to America for a bit to do that Um, so I had a kind of good grounding in it but I suppose there was a frustration that I was coming up with um, ideas of TV series or films and giving it to other writers and so I decided to um, jump ship and try my hand at writing Um, and With sort of varying success, Um, you know, I wrote for I I did you know I wrote for the Silent Witness um, and I did a lot for the Bill. If anyone can remember that, absolutely, I can.
1: I used to love that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, And EastEnders and Holby and all sorts of various different things. So it was fun, um, but it was also frustrating. I think when you're in that sort of as you call it a factory. Um, writers are, are kind of very low down on the sort of pecking order of tv drama especially on those long-running series uh, and they hire and fire you um uh, all the time so they don't really kind of you know they have so many different writers they use um and of course you're writing somebody else's idea and it's very difficult to get your own ideas away as a, as a tv series or as a film so um there was a frustration in it but you know it was still uh it was still an enjoy it was a very very useful experience actually um now that I've come to writing a, uh, my own series in terms of craft and speed and dialogue and all that kind of stuff
1: so it sounds like it gave you a good grounding for like you say for the speed of writing a series because I think that's one thing that some writers struggle with they know that to have a successful series they have to keep on and keep on and keep Ooh. producing books but your your uh tv experience has sort of given you that skill to
2: absolutely i think that's been invaluable because um you know when you're writing a script for the bill uh they may come to you on a friday night and say um this has all changed this character note is different that scene needs to change this plot needs to change and we need it by 9 a.m on monday morning um and so you're you're kind of in at the deep end your whole weekend is spent rewriting and rewriting and and possibly on the Monday they'll go back and say actually that's now changed um and can you change that bit um and it's it's relentless uh and the deadlines are very very tight because of you know the production so I'm guessing having written x you know uh over 100 tv scripts I'm guessing that just gave me such a good grounding in sort of hitting the ground running and and writing stuff fast and rewriting stuff fast so yeah no it's I think I'm sure that's it's been a huge help. Did you work with John York while you were with EastEnders? Yeah yeah I worked with John York on I think I did six or seven EastEnders around the sort of turn of the millennium so um uh that was a that was a l- that was a better experience than the bill um and Holby was good as well so the BBC were kind of slightly gentler in in their treatment of writers um but um yeah it was all good stuff and I think you know when I've come to write my books it's you know it's I know how a scene works I know how to structure a scene I know how to write dialogue um and I know all about the structure of of stories so I kind of had a very very strong background in in narrative writing before I decided
0: to write novels. That's fantastic learning ground. I mean, John York, just to explain, has written into the woods, which is held up as one of the Bibles of, of structuring a novel and indeed a, a television script and, and and the different structures you can apply so uh that's why i bring it in but i just have this vision pop into my head of uh if you fail on the bill they send chris ellison who was burnside or they send johnny murray who <laughs> <laughs> was ds beach what, uh, want
1: to have a chat with you yeah well, see yeah. Uh, the thing with have johnny Murray
0: is um, unless i'm wrong uh i've had to dr- i've got drunk with him on one occasion that the Grand Hotel in Brighton. It's a long story. It involved um, Katie Price as well. So it's, it's a good one. But <laughs> anyway, <I don't> <laughs> the, the thing about him was he gets this big fat roll of notes out of his pocket, like a proper East End gangster. And then I sort of say, oh, that's impressive. He says, yeah, you have to keep up appearances. And I said, you know, I've, I've read somewhere that you've got some lockups in the East End. They say, yeah, I've got 40. And if anyone doesn't pay, I pay them a visit. And that doesn't happen again. And you're thinking, <laughs> Oh my God. So oh my he God. was really put in character, wasn't he?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh. Um yeah, no, it was um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, it was it was a it was a very good time, I think, in, in T V drama. I think, but um uh, although I look now and sort of wonder if I'd carried on and or if I I've been writing at a different time. I mean the, the amount of TV drama that's out there now is in is incredible with um yeah, Netflix and Amazon Prime it's sort of uh, it's opened up there is there are huge amounts of opportunities now for series writers but um yeah we shall we shall see
0: and, and still doctors
2: to, to to provide for as well no, so, I started on doctors yes I did yeah oh. I episodes of doctors the first things I ever wrote um <laughs> and uh yeah no <laughs> that was good I mean you know it was, a, it was a again that was a perfect place to train um and um Again, that was again really tight turnarounds, really you know half hours, and um, again sort of you know three drafts and you're done, and those three drafts have to be done pretty quickly. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Well, we we I mean we we've said this on the podcast before, but we hold it out as an opportunity where, where we sometimes feedback to authors that their dialogue is a little bit doctors in the sense that in the opening few seconds of doctors there'll be someone. <laughs> upstairs foodling around and uh the missus <laughs> downstairs shouts up jeff have you taken your pills you know the ones the doctor said that you, if you don't you're going to peel over <laughs> yeah. and die because like, oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we always say don't we if, if we read that sort of style in a book we say that's fine for doctors and it's yeah. fine for holby city and um casualty and
2: well it's not yeah, fine, my, w- my wife, <laughs> my wife. <laughs> My wife and I call it the casualty opening. It's the guy up the ladder, isn't it? And you go, yes. oh, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next.
1: Um, He'll <laughs> be dead by the end of the episode. He
2: climbs onto his roof to kind of remove the satellite. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, okay, well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's the same stuff. Yeah, you kind of do have to kind of, um, yes, when you're writing a novel, it's it's uh, less exposition, I think. Certainly the beginning, the better, really. You kind of want to draw people in. Um And I suppose that's actually, that's really good TV and film writing is the, is what you don't write. The negative um, space. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Playing with space and not, you know, the internal, although, although what I do like about writing novels over scripts is that you can actually explore the internal mind of a character and say what they're thinking. Um, You have to be careful that you're not kind of signposting everything too. So it's it's a balance to be struck when you're writing like that.
0: Absolutely. Now, T V was an early part of your career and then teaching. So what prompted the the switch? Was it was it disillusionment or you just yeah. wanted to give yeah. something well, back? He probably or...
1: wanted his weekends back. Yeah, <laughs> what is that that it? Too? <laughs> I think,
2: yeah, no, it was exactly what you said, both things really. I think um I I was very close to getting certain things, you know, like a feature film where I had R- Richard Harris attached, and then we got the money together at Cannes, and then it didn't go. Uh, and well, then he died, so that was kind of inconvenient, so the money dropped out. Um, and they were I kind of got very close a couple of times to, to sort of things happening, and meanwhile I was just kind of churning out these these kind of scripts. Um, and I was so disillusioned with certain series that I've, I didn't even watch them go out. And my wife sort of went, if you're not even watching your own episodes going out on broadcast television, do you think it's time to do something else for a little bit? Because, you know that's almost that's quite crazy that you know a lot of people would um at a distance would say "Well, wow, what a great career that must be amazing to watch your episode of EastEnders going out and you're not even watching it because they've changed it so much and you kind of feel like it's been sort of hacked to pieces mm-hmm. so yeah and um yeah no teaching I mean it was just I had 10 years at teaching and it was it was fantastic it was an incredible job um and um yeah I loved it uh, and as with most things it was the sort of people in charge that kind of make it more difficult the kids were great normally um but it was those in um in positions of power that actually make it more difficult um in fact the adults actually the (laughs) the
1: adults
2: (laughs) make the school more difficult and less of a, of a a decent place to work and actually I I was far happier I taught media in English um and I was far happier to sort of close the door with my class and just getting on and you know having a an interesting lively lesson that was kind of that's when I was happiest
1: Mm. so So
2: the actual teaching part the teaching part and then all the other stuff that goes with it becomes uh frustrating and like any place where where there's sort of positions of power you just you know the place that I worked at the which will remain nameless Mm -hmm. um the school I had you know a hierarchy that were very kind of um, arrogant and you know sort of believe that you know they believe that their little kind of their little kingdom of that school was the most important thing on the planet Um and I did keep saying you do realise we're just working in a secondary school in leafy Cheshire um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but they didn't seem it like that they seem to sort of think they're working in the White House or something so yeah
1: they have that feeling of power don't they though? well it <laughs> yeah, is the
0: nature of, of structures isn't it that you know and hierarchies and <sighs> I, I, I. When I became a manager at the BBC, I, I remember for the first two weeks I wore a tie, um, <laughs> for the first time in my I don't career. Think I've so, ever so, seen so, you
1: in a tie. No,
0: well, uh, you haven't seen the video of me looking like Alan Partridge in a, in a green blazer, <laughs> oh, bright Brighton seafront, doing some reporting for BBC <laughs> South. But um, <laughs> it really was very Partridge. But the, uh, the the nature of it was, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to project power by wearing a tie, yeah. now. <laughs> uh, and that somehow becoming an assistant editor in in sports news would suddenly give me some sort of omniscience and omnipotence that, that I could, I could use. And and nothing is further from the truth. You are, if you're doing it well, I think um, then you, you, you're putting everyone else first rather than yourself. But unfortunately Mm -hmm. in most management and what I've experienced is that that's, it's, it's completely the opposite. It is all about them. And it's all about, having their own way and say and 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 fighting each other and that sounds like you you was sucked into that sort of uh, vortex I suppose yeah no absolutely and I think you
2: know the other thing is that teaching teaching does on on the whole attract the right people as in people who would like to make a difference and you know it's a it's a very kind of um, rewarding job but there are there are some people who are attracted to the job because they get to tell both children and eventually other you know other members of staff what to do, um, and it kind of it, you can get on a bit of a power trip with it because you know that's what that's the nature of the job, uh, and those people um, they normally succeed as well because they kind of um, play they play a kind of political game to get move up the sort of structure of a, of a of a school. Um, as with those, most things those sort of people tend to thrive, and they're the kind of wrong people for doing the job actually.
1: That's the irony, isn't it?
2: well, it is yeah unfortunately um so um but you know loved it i I did love it and uh, um but it's exhausting and it is relentless um and um yeah,
1: so yeah, you and escaped I, and decided to write
2: well yeah I'd write i sort of started writing. So I thought, uh, I had a couple of people that kind of went, why are you not, a couple of people just went, why are you not writing anymore? Uh, and then other people here sort of bumped into. I moved to another school when their head of department went, well, what, why Why have you not written since then? And I kind of thought, well, I don't really know, actually. Um, and I'd writ, re- I read a lot of crime novels because, and watched a hell of a lot of crime on TV. I sort of, slightly kind of dark, warped mind, kind of is drawn to... Um, watching things with murders whether it's <laughs> whether I'm writing, reading it or watching it and sort of kind of it's my thing and I thought well I could have a go at writing a, a novel because that would could be f- complete freedom I wouldn't have to try and get a script away or get a screenplay in development which I know is incredibly difficult um, and I kind of had these ideas about um, well as a, as a South Londoner who moved to North Wales 12 years ago I sort of thought there's something really interesting about that juxtaposition of a person from you know a metropolitan city like London coming to the middle of nowhere in Wales which is a different country um, and has sort of slightly kind of hostile feelings towards London as well Um, (laughs) and I thought well that's quite interesting if someone if a detective she's a DI just makes that move and she you get a new perspective and it's always a great way to start a series isn't it of uh you know a person from a yes. person um fish out of water comes somewhere um and isn't particularly welcome but also kind of gets a different perspective on on how things work um and so i just thought well that's you know and Snowdonia just as we talked about is lent itself to as a backdrop uh, uh, to a kind of noir you know coming watch kind of scandy noir i kind of thought well, that's kind of the kind of elements of that in snowdonia as well so i just i just started writing at lunch times or you know a bit after school or a bit before school and put together a book so um
0: and then i've got people were, to read it sorry to, when you were creating ruth hunter um mm. obviously you got the fish out of water, the water the london background um we we often ask authors when they're developing a character which clearly has already led to what a dozen books now out in print.
2: uh yeah well, I'm writing book 10 on that series but yeah, yeah but with her actually yeah there's 12 uh, yes the 13th comes out on Wednesday so there, there you go So, so the so, baker's dozen.
0: right so <laughs> yeah. um and and you know you read the, the structure books and all that and they say right well make sure you've got flaws so <laughs> how many did you give her uh to work against uh when you you Uh, a huge amount
2: both of the i think i mean uh, from you know from the reaction of readers in terms of reviews and emails that i get it's the i think the the thing that seems to attract people to my books is that the two central characters are incredibly flawed um and make huge amounts of mistakes and self-destruct and have all this kind of stuff going on however when they're at work they're very good at what they do Mm. um so with her, I also I had this idea that she needed something else. So rather than her, I wondered why I started to think why she would move away from London, apart from the fact that she worked in Peckham, which is kind of, you know, sort of the <laughs> most, probably the most dangerous place in London to live, <laughs> um, which I'm guessing was, uh, was a fair a fair kind of motivation to move. But, um, so I created this other story where she um, she had her partner, um, she's gay, so she had a female partner yeah. who got... A, I, I remember reading these stories about people who just vanish mm. with no reason at all, and there are thousands of them. Um, and I thought, so she has this partner who gets on a train in Crystal Palace, um, going to Victoria, and just never gets off the train. And no one knows... What happened, uh, and so it's an ongoing investigation throughout all the books at the moment. Is that she, so? Part of her is trying to escape the ghost of this partner that just vanished, and you know, no amount of sort of searching through CCTV or whatever, you know, all the kind of stuff that she could use as a police officer, she couldn't find anything. I mean, it just she's vanished into thin air. Um, and so part of her moves to Snowdonia to kind of get away from that and of course that doesn't work because she sort of it's not something she can get away from and as the series develops tiny little elements come in um normally at the end of the book (laughs) Mm, uh, yes (laughs) just to get as a as a kind of um, crude marketing tool Um, (laughs) a device uh, oh my god uh and a (laughs) piece of evidence arrives and so it, it, yeah I won't tell you where we are now but the but it's developed and it's and it's kind of um, book 10 is where everything to do oh. with that plot explodes so, but
1: do you uh, know what happens do you know the act that they the final outcome
2: mm, yeah because it all happens in I mean it's happening now in books 10 and 11 is where um the what's actually happened to her is being you know is kind of coming to a climax Ah. because I think actually you know I I envisioned that this series can go on for like 20 books but I kind of feel that keeping that going for 20 for 20 books would would kind of I think people have had enough now of that kind of stuff so I think it's time for that part of the book that part of the series to find some kind of conclusion right
1: but did you know that at the beginning when you started writing did you think I've got this sort of Plot that goes all the way through, and this is the outcome. But I've got to get there, or did it just happen? Yes, I, had that,
2: I, didn't, I had no idea at what point in the series that was going to happen. And actually, I mean, I didn't really know because I wrote the first book going right back, so probably two, two and a half years ago. And I read the wrote the first book in isolation, thinking, "Well, I'm not. I'm probably never going to write the second book because the first book's never not going to sell." I didn't think it was very. I thought, "Well, I've given it a go," and I suppose. The only thing that I had going for me was that certain people uh, who I knew that were big crime, you know, read a lot of crime, read them and went, "Well, that's just like the stuff that we read." (laughs) Um, In fact, it's it's kind of identical, and it's it's you know, it's definitely not worse, and it's better than some of the stuff we read. And I kind of went, "Really?" (laughs) Sort of like, And I thought, "Oh, hang on a second, that might be." um..." So. But obviously I just I had created this this thing in in the first book thinking well I'm never gonna certainly won't be writing ten books. So Amazing. it was sort of I just kind of wrote it in isolation, thought it's quite a good little hook through the first book. <laughs> and if by some miracle I bought write a second book, then I'll have to pick it up and start running with it. But I didn't really think that was gonna happen.
0: And you went down the indie route as opposed to the traditional. Uh, you know relying on Hachette or Orion or someone to pick you up um and like us in in a sense been inspired by people who've gone before Joanna Penn and uh, Mark Dawson and Joffy Books and people like that um reaching out to an audience building it from scratch but how difficult was that um well, I, I had a few, I still had some, a few
2: contacts left. I mean, obviously, I was aware that I didn't need to get a literary agent to start with. There was no point going directly to a publisher. Um, and I tried a couple of people that I still knew from working in TV. Um, and, you know, with the usual stuff, uh, six months later, someone would come back to me and say, it's not for me but I know so-and-so down the, down the corridor might have a look at it. I was thinking, well, <laughs> I'm sitting in for, so I just kind of went, I just would like to get this out there and get people to read it. Um, and I read an article about Mark Dawson just completely by accident and suddenly went, Oh, this, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and thought, well, I could just do that. And uh and once I decided to do that, um, I then spent a whole. I actually made a decision not to release a book for a year, and I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write the first three, and I'm going to spend a whole year while I'm still sort of teaching, um, but kind of reading and write, uh, reading and listening and doing everything I can on indie publishing. So I listen to every audio book podcast. And read everything I could find for a year, so I completely immersed. It. I did the Mark Dawson's courses, I did Nick Stevenson courses, I read books by Chris Fox and Joe Penn and listened to everything I could do. And kind of like did it like a mini degree in self publishing.
1: Mm. <laughs> Shame um, you have got the certificate.
2: <laughs> I know, but I just thought I don't want to do if I want to if I'm going to do this, I want to do this right with with as much knowledge about this as I can get, and you know, the rapid release stuff seems to work. I don't want to put a book out there and then spend six months writing the next one while people forget who I am. So I did, I, I released the first three books in three months because I just thought, well, that, at least that gives me a little bit of a, a kind of...
0: Momentum and...
2: Yeah. Momentum then, and, you know, and if people are buying the third book, then I'm thinking that the fourth book is going to be worth, you know, you know, it's, you can drive people to your first book, but what you can't do is make them buy the second one. So you can probably get sales of your first book um, just through very clever marketing and you know spending a lot of money on Facebook and Amazon. You can actually sell them, but to get people to then buy the second and then the third, you have to write decent books because no yeah. one's going to no one's going to carry on buying them. So for me, it was like, well, if that if they continue to buy the series, then I know that I'm doing something that's okay
0: yeah that's true but it's your productivity rate is quite astonishing i know there are people who are even faster you know almost a book a week some people but uh you know you do wonder about the in romance but um, <laughs> yeah in the romance category yes i'm, I'm yeah. thinking along those lines but um that's you, you take a year to, to write three get them out and then since then it's what another nine so, books or so that's extraordinary Eighteen months, nine
2: books. Yeah, that's two yeah. months of books. Yes, uh, um, yeah, that's. I haven't reworked really it out, but yes, that seems quite fast. Um, so, how much do you
1: write a day?
2: Three thousand words.
1: Oh, very exact.
2: <laughs> no, that's. I have to. Like, I literally have. I have. I set aside. I try and do a thousand words an hour. Sometimes it's less than that, but I could try and do that, and I do them in very sort of short bursts because after writing a thousand words in an hour, my brain normally feels a bit sort of all over the place. So I go and take the dog for a walk. Um, and sometimes I'll space it out. So I write one in the morning, one late morning, one late afternoon. And hopefully by the end of the day, I've completed 3000 words. Sometimes it's 1000, sometimes it's four, but it's, I try and aim for that. And if your books are 70 to 80,000, it doesn't take that long to get a first draft out. And I think because of, as we talked about the the tv stuff my first drafts are pretty close to what goes out this yeah. i have an editor and i had a very very good editor for the first um eight or nine books and she was a developmental editor and she kind of was brutal and brilliant
0: that's rebecca miller uh,
2: sorry rebecca miller yes that's right yeah, yeah. she was fantastic uh, and she pretty much taught me how to write novels and with the first three because I, I didn't have a clue. Um, um, so I work less with her now because I kind of I kind of know how to do the structure. Um, and then I just have a I have a, a brilliant um, sort of um, sort of copy editor stroke proofreader who is meticulous Um and quite scary, actually. <laughs> they
1: uh, often <laughs> are, aren't they?
2: <laughs> and gets very angry with me if I get things wrong. Which is, uh, and, um, and she turns stuff around in about 10 days, and then we're ready to go. So Amazing. It's, it's, it works really well at the moment. So And yeah. Cabba's a Stuart-based still? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Stuart's just brilliant, a uh, genius. Um, everything he's done for me has been absolutely spot on. Um, and these days I just trust him implicitly you know I don't know whether he knows what I want but if I tell him something or I send him a picture a bit like this yes you know, <laughs> 10 days later I get this incredible cover back um so uh yeah he's brilliant absolutely brilliant
0: and uh, for those um listening you know I mean I, I read somewhere that it's what 300,000 books last year um has the momentum continued in terms of your sales and, you know, impact? Um, Yeah. Uh, Well, to date it's 800,000,
2: but I'm I'm thinking that, well, projecting forward, I I talked about, according to my accountant, it'll be a million books by Christmas. So, um, which is sort of mind blowing when I only sat down thinking if I sell a few hundred, I'll be really happy. So uh, yeah. I can't really complain. That's a, that seems like an incredible amount of books. I don't know how that's happened, but
0: um, yeah. And in terms of the wider crime community, because we've just been obviously dipping our toes with the, since we started Hobet Books, it was the first opportunity to really get go to a Harrogate or anything like that crime <laughs> festival, uh, and meet the established trade. What sort of yeah. um, relationship have you had with with them? Because we got the feeling that, yeah, they were pretty uh, welcoming the author side of it, but on the, um, let's put it on the publishing side, a little bit snooty. Um, How how are you, what sort of relationships have you struck up with the the wider community?
2: Um, With crime writers, my fellow indie crime writers are absolutely incredible. I um, have a very close relationship with Jason Dowdley. She's a very, very big seller. Um, I'm also in a sort of a little gang with... um, (laughs) JD kirk and jason and uh david gatward and alex smith um am i missing anyone else out there um so we kind of have a little gang of male indie crime uk crime writers and we kind of talk about we talk to each other about how how it's going which is mm. brilliant community um and certainly it'll be like oh have you know in terms of uh, marketing strategies or facebook ads or amazon ads it would just be like someone will post into our group and go oh have you have anyone tried this or what have you found that or has this month been, you know very difficult or um so you know we are all i guess we all are all rivals in some way um but in some way but we've pulled together and, and sort of share strategies so i just think which is really lovely because it's fantastic I, Having worked in TV and film, where no one would do that, it's um, it's a really refreshing that the publishing industry generally, but certainly the indie publishing, is so supportive. Um, and Jason was incredible because in the months leading up to me launching, he he looked at my covers, he looked at my website, he um, gave me advice on marketing, and just was was incredible because he didn't know me from Adam, but he um he took his he took time to kind of sort of almost mentor me for th- in in the lead up to the first launch so um and i yeah i'm very very grateful for that because it was a it was a very kind of generous thing to do um publishing wise um well now that i'm selling lots of books obviously um and i've got an agent um i've just been commissioned by um avon so mm um so they are interested now but um I'm assuming that's just because they kind of go well let's look at people who sell books so um but I've actually to be fair um the people at Avon are are lovely so um and I don't know how that's going to work out because I'm just starting on that sort of traditional publishing route and it's a very I've got to deliver three books in the space of Two years, so um, for me, that's sort of it's a bit of a no-brainer because I can do that. Obviously. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> a bit <laughs> of a holiday yeah, for you. Up,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> Not really going to impact. Three hundred
1: words a day. <laughs>
2: yeah, so that's that's cool. And I suppose what they can offer me as a as a indie writer uh, now is an access to getting my work into supermarkets, Waterstones, W H Smith, which. Even though I'm still trying to work on that on the indie side, it's incredibly difficult. It is to, mm. to get our paperbacks. Um, I mean, there are ways. And I'm just starting to find a way in, but um, certainly, unless unless you sell a lot of books, getting your paperbacks sold anywhere outside of Amazon is is very
0: hard. Yes, we've yes. we've found that, but we, you know, we've we've had some success recently. Sort of shifting the dial on that, but it is very, very tough. And um you know, L.J. Ross, I suppose, is the sort of flag bearer for for getting yes. her books into mainstream. Yeah, but she sold yeah. six million, so you know, no brainer, really. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And you know, she's got her own imprint. She has her own sales rep, um and then she does she does like decent print runs so that she can get the unit cost right down. So mm,
1: that's the important got,
2: thing. Yeah, that's the I mean, that's the point the thing. If you're doing print on demand, you've got no chance. No it's going to cost you four or five quid a a book to print so then you have to but then you have to have the money and the sort of and the sales to go somewhere and and get you know two thousand printed on a print run um so you kind of have to have a, a you kind of have to have a lot of sales behind you to kind of go down that route and it's not really for
0: it's not really for indie authors I don't think unless you know that you're going to sell a lot of books it's a big risk. If, without question, it's a big risk. And it's something, that, you know, with Hobek, we, we face that di- dilemma all the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, that will always be the case. But that's the nature of publishing, isn't it? In the sense, whether you're indie or not. Um, what is it? I read somewhere the other day that only 25% of books commissioned by traditional press actually break even. And it's it's yeah. like Dragon's Den, you know. If one of their one of their investments out of ten works, it pays for the rest.
1: Yeah, I mean that's very true. That's why they can afford to pay so much money to get a celebrity writer, because they know they've got other books that are making the money.
0: Yeah, there's anyone well, Richard Osman. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I sort of amazed because when I told, I mean, I've, I've been telling sort of my agent figures and on my pre-orders, and I, it's sort of. Um, and she tells me what she thinks that an average pre-order for a for a book, you know, a traditional published book is, and I kind of, I sort of surprised how low it is. So, um, um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess um, there's certainly the, the other thing that I've seen recently is the the move from uh, publishers into digital, which I'm guessing which was like sped up by the pandemic.
0: Yes, but if
2: you Go on to Amazon now and look at their digital charts. Um, we're being swamped. I'm say we, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> leading, rank-
0: leading indie authors are getting swamped and the smaller ones getting nowhere. Yeah, yet, and
2: my it? rankings are definitely getting taking a hit. So, um, and you'll see kind of older crime books or, you know, big authors releasing their books for 99 pence on deals and stuff, which they never did like even a year ago. That was never happening. So they're kind of cottoning on to the fact that if they, especially if they have a book, you know it's it's that's definitely a no-brainer isn't it if you've got an old book that basically has already been written to release it for 99 pence and pick up some money um it's uh it doesn't cost you anything apart from pressing sort of send on your
0: uh on your digital (laughs) book so um
2: so gazing into your
0: crystal ball given the the competition's become tougher and you know you can notice that in facebook ads and amazon ads and you know all those methods that were really the the sole reserve for the indie community now that the traditional publishers have figured that out um do you have any sort of fears for the for for your future you know you're relying on this income now yeah um no well
2: i don't know um uh i think i'm I think I'm very, very lucky in that I got in on the last wave. I think, um, I think if I was coming in now, it would be not impossible, but I think because I also I managed to get in just before the pandemic when the sales were very high. A lot of people were stuck at home with Kindles, and, and I, I sort of rode the wave of that. And also, I suppose now I've kind of built a readership. Um, yeah. But I think it's very, I think it's even harder now to build a readership if you're an indie author um and that's one of the reasons why I've kind of taken the deal with Avon you know um Harper Collins because that's another that's just a different route for me to kind of be a sort of slightly more hybrid um with the future in mind um it can be done you know. I've seen um David Gatward come in after me um in the crime world and he's done very very well Alex Smith's doing really well so it can be done um but I'm guessing it's it just gets slightly harder each month that goes past, um, and
0: it's harder to get into those those kind of breakout authors that you probably got five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So to to finish, really, uh, it's it's a remarkable story, um, as you say. You were on the you know, read the crest of the last wave, but do you have time to reflect and pinch yourself as to what's what you've achieved in the last you know two years?
1: I don't think
2: he'd want to pinch himself. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I mean luckily I have two children who are hugely underwhelmed by everything I do. So <laughs> they
1: always are, um, aren't they?
2: <laughs> so so however I, I kind of go, Ooh, um, I've just had a phone call from so-and-so, or I've just done this, or whatever it might be, um, they'll go, what? And then they'll they'll just kind of either either kind of bring me down to earth or just continue to watch whatever they're watching and so that's quite a nice balance. And I mean, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I do wake up sometimes and go, oh my God, I'm a writer and I've sold quite a few books. But um, I suppose it's, um, yeah, no, I I kind of, I just feel very lucky, I suppose. I've, had, I've been, had, been helped along the way by some very lovely people. Um, and I think that's the, that I sort of hold that. Um, and I quite like, you know, now I've got some authors that come to me and ask me how to do stuff. And I'm really kind of, I'm very happy to kind of, keep that going and um and sort of mentor other people so that sort of also kind of helps me feel a bit better about myself
0: fantastic simon it's been a real pleasure to speak to you thank you for joining us on the hubcast thank you adrian really fascinating interview with simon mcleave we're grateful to him for putting up some technical difficulties that we had beforehand and just to (laughs) remind you that his latest novel the imitation of dark an imitation of darkness i should say doing very well in the amazon charts has just been released this week and it's a um ds ruth hunter story so it's one of the prequels that he's written for the main series that he's done so uh we're well worth checking that out and uh, check out his website as well there's fantastic free content to be had there if you sign up to his mailing list much as there is at ours at www.hobeck.net where you can get the wonderful crime bites
1: and we have a new book we've added to our list of freebies haven't we
0: yes we have
1: it's um Lynn LaVersha's a defining moment that was added this week
0: that's brilliant it's uh, it's a setup up for the book that's coming in
1: let me November
0: see. November <laughs>
1: yeah we've got so many books coming in September October November December so. Lynn's,
0: yeah Lynn's Lynn's brilliant book. Uh, Blood Notes, which I'm sure you absolutely adore. I loved it. I devoured it. Uh it's coming out in November. And we've just released the cover, details for that, and indeed for this uh, for this freebie. And this week we had another cover reveal, didn't we?
1: We did, another book which um is sort of a bit of a late comer to the Hobeck stable. So that is Judy Dakin. Um and the book is Whalen Babes, which we both absolutely devoured in just a few hours. Um few weeks ago and and we've moved quite fast on this because uh we want to publish it in time for halloween because it is a um a sort of a collection of five interconnected ghost stories so mm-hmm. halloween is the perfect time for it um so we also had the cover re- reveal for that as well it's, we, it's a beautiful
0: <laughs> a cover. week. And they're all wonderful covers uh so it's a collaboration with her daughter and jane map our regular designer um just just stunning and uh, it's just one of the fun things to do is i mean it is one of the trickiest things we do cover design because tastes vary so much and we can go to and fro between authors and designers and whatever eventually though and i think you know when, whenever you update our sort of uh, banner image <laughs> with all the different covers we've designed they're all brilliant
1: they frankly. are because i did that this week because i i realized that um, I, there was a couple of others i hadn't updated it with harry fisher's covers and um, so I thought it was about time I did, and I did it. And I look at it, and I, it's almost like I think, blimey, have we really signed up all those books and published two-thirds of them already in a space, you know, just over a year? H- have we done that? Well,
0: <laughs> we have. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of forget just what's involved with the passage of time. And, you know, day-to-day we're rolled up, sleeves rolled up and getting involved and dealing with the detail and the queries and all the different uh, little frustrations if Amazon flops somewhere or um, you know something comes back from the uh, from Ingram Spark, not quite correct, or mm. you know the metadata 's slightly off or whatever it might be there 's all sorts of things that can can catch you out, and you have to be sort of very attentive to that, quite apart from the sort of work i 'm doing at the moment which i 'm doing proving one of our future novels at the moment and sort of finding myself in that sort of uh, focused alert state where you're looking for stuff you're looking for for problems Um, and trying to recognize for instance when you get to that point where you've concentrated for a certain amount of might be 25 pages and you need to take that break step away because you're beginning to glaze a little and you might there's just a danger you might miss something
1: yeah and I actually think that's quite good advice for anyone who's proofreading is look for problems actively seek out issues rather than hope it's hope it's fine and hope it reads well you know with proofreading it it doesn't matter that much because the copy editors already you know read it for sense and for clarity and for um whether the story holds together so you are you're looking for the nits basically
0: yeah and every time you hit dialogue just checking that the the speech marks are the right way around
1: yeah because sometimes and it's a uh, tiny error but
0: it's very, very easy to gloss over with your eyes. Anyway, that's something that I've been working on this week, working on audio. We've put out for auditions for uh, for a future production.
1: Yes, that's, that's a, quite exciting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is um, our, one of our forthcoming novels, um, Silenced by Jenny Ensor. We're we're looking to put together a cast this time. It's going to be slightly different from what we normally do, which is normally a mono-narrator doing everything, but this time it just screams you need authenticity we're two of the characters so that's what we're casting at the moment and i think we hope we'll we'll find some amazing new talent to the market uh, in doing so
1: yeah i mean what i love is the fact we're giving opportunity, an opportunity mm. to one or more people who may never have um, done audio narration before and it might be their career it might launch their career for them i hope
0: so i hope so i think it's a really big step for us and um it's a process that uh, I'm really looking forward to. So, come October, that'll be part of my working brief: is to go and record this and and direct some uh, some new talent to the market. And um, you know, narrating for the first time and creating characters and and telling the stories with huge authenticity. That's such a powerful book. Um, I know you're going to love it i know if, i say that about every book of course if we don't love it then we're not going to publish it it's I mean, as that's, as that. Yeah. yeah
1: that's one of the reasons why when we're reading submissions we only take on books that we we feel passionately about
0: yeah absolutely and and indeed authors that we feel passionately about and we feel passionately about them all
1: <laughs> makes it sound like we're having affairs with them all
0: <laughs> um yeah rather yeah let's talk about that off <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, I mean, what what you been you're saying you've been doing lots of sort of proofreading, thinking about this this audio project that we're doing, but I've also been playing a bit further, a bit deeper into video.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and um, using a new uh, – uh, one of the great – video is very, very powerful um, when done well. Done badly, it's, it's a nightmare. The, the hardest thing is to get the sort of imagery you need to tell a story, and you found a really useful source – of video that we can use you know under license uh that is relatively inexpensive yeah. compared to many other sources i mean if you if you go to i mean we use for instance adobe stock is our, our main image gallery and uh, i subscribe to that and it's you know for, for images it's a remarkably um inexpensive service really but for video you're looking at, for a you 15-second know, clip, It's uh, for the standard license, is about £50 pounds a go. Now, if you're building a video with six or seven bits of video, that's a very expensive thing. That's obviously a lot cheaper than going out and filming it yourself and getting actors and all that sort of thing. So um, what you're doing is, is superb, and it's like anything. It,
1: it,
0: you do it with uh, the best of intentions in terms of reaching a new market and generating sales some of it will work some of it won't but it's Mm. worth trying
1: yeah absolutely worth trying and i'm learning in the process and so you know i love the fact that it's teaching me new skills as well
0: yeah absolutely listen we ought to uh, announce who our winner is
1: yes we ought so um this competition was open to uh anyone who was not at harrogate however there will have been people who've subscribed whether they were harrogate or not during the last week and of course the competition's open to them as well. So it's basically anyone who subscribed from noon last Sunday to noon today. Yeah. So we have a winner. We don't know whether he was at Harrogate or not. Um, and his name is Michael McKenzie.
0: Congratulations, Michael. And uh, what do we know about Michael?
1: Well, we know that he is an author. Jolly good. <laughs> and he's also in the running for the McIlvany Prize.
0: Well... There you go. So he could get the McIverney Prize and this. I mean, you know, he's got this.
1: Well, know. he's going to get a copy of Waking the Tiger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one of his rival books. Fair enough. Um, and, you know, we've been watching the Olympics this week. And uh, some of or you haven't, but I have. And I've been forcing well, it onto you. You watched a little bit. Um, it, they talk about momentum. You know, how one medal can uh, and raise, you know, it may be that this is the thing that gives him the momentum to take the McElvanny.
1: <laughs> Maybe, yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, as it happens, uh, we gather that he might live in Glasgow, which is where we're going to be later in the week, all things willing, and then catching a ferry over to the Isle of Arran, which is where next week's show is going to come from. And just remind us who we've got as our guest next week, please.
1: Yes, um, so we're speaking to a lady called Leslie McElvoy. mcavoy McAvoy. MacAvoy, McAvoy. I'm not very good with these... Uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, so she is a behavioural um, psychologist and she's published one book called uh, The Murder Mile and she's got another book out in November. Um, so I think, you know, it'd be interesting perspective, uh, a little bit like Chris Merritt, who we spoke to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Chris, Chris had a background as, as a clinical psychologist and this is a behavioural psychologist. Yeah. Much more. I, I imagine that sort of almost being, you know, like uh, the character of Fitz in Cracker. I think they were behavioural psychologists.
1: Yeah, and and I, you showed me one episode of that, didn't you? And yeah, I we, loved it. Yeah, loved we, it. we
0: need to get round to watching some more of it. Um, but then again, we've got to run Hoback sometime. <laughs> you know, can't always watch Cracker. I mean, admittedly, I started watching Bergerac again, which has turned up on Britbox, hallelujah. And uh, Hallelujah. Yeah, I know. I mean, a young John Nettles. He really was a very good-looking man, wasn't he?
1: Uh, I, he didn't really do much for me, I have to say.
0: No? Not in no. the leather jacket and the...
1: DMG Roadster. No, 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 no. It's making me my hair go. What
0: about Charlie Hungerford? Was he more your no, type? No, no. <laughs>
1: wow. Well, I was only a teenager, wasn't I? I was about thirteen when the <laughs> was on the TV.
0: Right. Well, so Leslie's <laughs> joining us next week um as our as our guest, which we're really looking forward to. And it will come from the Isle of Arran, so we'll we'll be recording it on location. There's a tiny wee bookshop there, apparently, which we're looking forward to visiting.
1: And there's an art shop. Luke yeah. told me. Well, there
0: are. Well, there's two <laughs> distilleries as well, which is of greater interest to me, frankly, and seven <laughs> golf courses, which is a massive interest to me.
1: Yes.
0: And I've just bought my Aaron golf pass, which gives me access to them all. <laughs> How about uh, toes? Yeah, Toby might, well, get a chance, but I, I shall buy them on an individual basis. I dare say <laughs> that junior rounds are much cheaper, so we, yeah. we won't need to worry about that. But um, we are so looking forward to it. We haven't had uh, a significant, certainly as a, as a group of people, holiday for years no actually. no this is the first proper holiday as taking away the kids somewhere different for well since i've moved to here um
1: well even before then i i um so my uh dad and my stepmom own a caravan in both so we used to go there quite a lot because it was convenient and obviously you know for a lot cheaper than booking a cottage so they haven't been on a on a sort of proper holiday. That's not in Borth for quite a while. Well, it's going
0: to be stunning. I mean, you know, if the weather holds up, it, we're we're down on the beach at Kildonan, which is the southern tip of of Arran in the Lowland bit, um, overlooking the Elsa Craig and on the Firth of Clyde. It's just going to be wonderful if we get there. I so have fingers an, all crossed. As we are pinged at the moment, we're, we're not allowed out for a few days.
1: I have an important question for you. What's that? How many books am I allowed to take?
0: How big's the car? Well, we're putting the (laughs) roof box on. I will give you a certain proportion of the roof box.
1: Excellent. So half. (laughs) It probably will end up being
0: half. Uh, I wanted to just, if I may, take this opportunity to wish my two boys happy birthdays. Uh, Ben has his birthday as we record this and James tomorrow. Um, Sadly, because of the pinging, I won't actually get to see them on their birthdays, which is um, uh, a matter of some regret, to say the least.
1: Uh, it's it's such bad timing isn't it it's, yeah
0: yeah it's awful it's awful and it's quite upsetting really when i think about it so i'm, I'm going to start choking now yeah but anyway listen um happy birthday lads happy and,
1: birthday
0: and um i'm proud of you both i really am anyway uh
1: i hope you like the presents
0: yeah <laughs> they're pretty esoteric we'll put some pictures up um when they've opened them next week. <laughs> anyway uh, thank you for joining us on the Hopcast Book Show. Uh, thank you to Simon McLeave for being our guest this week. Thank you to Rebecca for everything and you me. do for me and for the company.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> right. And you're supposed to say thank you.
1: Oh, oh, thank you too. Yes, for the coffees and also for putting up with my... I have a question about Hobeck, if I may.
0: Yeah, and I go, oh, what?
1: And oh. then he's like, there's a little puff of smoke. And I say, where's he gone? <laughs>
0: and i'm going can't you see i am watching the heats of the 200 meters butterfly <laughs> on the iphone um please do, do not disturb no no it's not like that really i've i've been very very um uh what's the word circumscribed with the um the amount of uh olympics i've watched anyway uh and you know it's it's wonderful to have it on but it's background noise to the otherwise business of making a show like this the hobcast book show and hobec books thanks again for joining us don't forget to go to our website www.hobec.net there is 20 percent off any of our paperbacks should you wish if you use the code hobcast 20 in our shop uh, but from from uh, for myself adrian hobart
1: and myself rebecca collins
0: thank you so much for listening have a great and creative week bye-bye you've been listening to the hobcast from hobec books with adrian hobart and rebecca collins you can find the show notes at our website www.hobec.net you can also use the exclusive hobcast discount code for any of the products at our hobec online store just enter the code hobcast 20 for 20 percent discount don't forget to subscribe to the hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.